Welcome back to Deal Flow. Ryan Ray here as always. My guest today is Josh Levine. Josh, good to have you on the podcast. Yeah, good to be here. Thanks, Ryan. Okay, give us a 30-second background, who you are, what you do, kind of how you fit into the larger Deal Flow uh, space. Yeah, so um, I am the co-founder and CEO of a company called Private Market Labs. We are new on the scene in terms of helping people find deal flow, specifically on the brokered side of the universe. So what we do is we have um, AI technology at a couple different points in the deal discovery process. First, we use it to help bring in deals from all over the internet, both from big websites, small websites, you know, largely through you know broker partnerships. Uh, working directly with brokers to get APIs within their own data, um, direct uploads, those kinds of things. And then we also um, use AI to help match people with opportunities that fit their investment thesis. So one of the reasons we got started doing this is because we realized that people are thinking about their search and then they're searching in a slightly different way. So if you're on one of these legacy platforms, you might say, hey, I'm really interested in a home services company, and it could be construction, or it could be landscaping, or it could be you know, HVAC. But really, that home services piece is the part that's really important. If you're, if you're thinking about your search that way, you should also be able to search that way. And what we're able to do is you're able to take in your uh, investment criteria, your search criteria, and actually match you with deals based on the way that you would describe your search to a friend. So your client or another client, you have one side, which is the the broker, the advisor who has a set of deals that they're taking to market. And then you're finding the searcher or the company that's buying. You're saying, hey, you two need to talk. Is that a good way to describe it? Yeah, that's really that's a good way to describe it. We um we work directly with the sell side to just be we're an additional avenue for them to post their deals, mm. and then the buy side comes to us for to uh, organize the ecosystem around their investment thesis. Okay, but you're so you're not going and finding off market and bringing that to the platform. Someone else is finding that and putting on the platform for you. Correct. We're working with brokers directly to uh, ex to get their deals in front of people. So we're not doing the the deal sourcing on the we're not working directly with sellers and we're not doing the off market stuff. And I think we have a broader philosophy around that. So the first is selling and buying a business. It's it's really hard on both sides. Well, let's just focus on the sell side part of it for a second. So selling a business is really difficult. It's an emotional transaction. You know, you're likely only going to do one of them. You know, if you're lucky. Uh, if you're lucky to sell one business, um, and uh, and often people have been working in these businesses, particularly in the space that we're looking at, they've been in these businesses for a really long time, and your sort of liquidation, your ability to sell that business is really your retirement. That's the legacy. That cash is a legacy you're going to pass on to your family, especially if the family doesn't want to take over the business. So you inherently have a seller that is looking for help. And then they're sitting down across the table from usually, you know, mid thirties, early forties, you know, ex MBA, ex private equity, often person who's got, you know, a lot of deal chops, a lot of finance chops, and it's, it's an intimidating situation. So we find that sellers who work with brokers tend to be the ones that are the most motivated to sell. They tend to be the ones that are the most organized and they tend to be the ones that are more likely to close. So that's not to say that you can't find great deals off market. But for us and the value we can provide with our technology, that combined with sort of the nature of the transaction uh, lent us to move in the broker direction. Nice. Yeah. What we see with searchers is they're not getting enough uh, bats at plate. You know, they're, they're, they're just not getting enough swings. And so yeah. uh, 
Um, and that's what we hear from searchers. And that's why they come to us for maybe the off-market brand is that they're just not getting enough at-bats. Uh, so how do you conquer that problem with what you guys are doing? Yeah, so part of it is we we want people to get as many good swings in as possible. And I think you and I are, are really aligned on, on, this, on this front. I think that buyers, when they are looking for a business to buy, they're not always really focusing on the opportunities in front of them, the way that a lot of platforms are organized. It's organized for you to scroll through and scroll through and maybe you miss something or everything starts to look the same. And what we're trying to do is if we're going to give you 50 matches, we're going to give you 50 matches, 10 at a time, let's say that fit this construction HVAC landscaping structure that we came up with a couple of minutes ago, you're going to see 50 matches, 10 at a time. And every single one of them, if we do our job right, every one of them is going to be a match or let's say at minimum 75% is going to be a fit. So you're looking at, you know, 50 matches, you know, you're automatically in a good position to say, Hey, I found 10 that I really want to see a SIM for. And if you do that, you know, a couple times a month, you're, you're getting into a situation where you're seeing a lot of SIMs, you're having a lot of conversation with brokers in a high value situation. So you're not just spraying and praying, you're doing direct outreach in a targeted manner to a smaller number of deals that are more likely to be hit. And one of the things that we hear from our uh, M&A clients or, or broker clients is they're skeptical of, of searchers, that searchers are actually going to close because they get, and you've got it, I'm sure too, Hey, send me anything you got. I'll take a look at it. And uh, you know, if you're an MA advisor, business broker, your job is to find a buyer who's going to be actionable. Uh, they're going to close. They're going to show. And so, um, is there a hurdle that you guys have had to overcome on the sell side, saying, "Hey, that we do have actionable searchers." Yeah, and that that's a definite challenge. And I think that um, to take one quick step back, and then I'm going to answer this question. I think that the concern is justified. So for, from my perspective, I want to see as many people in the search place as po- search space as possible. I don't want it to just be, you know, the, the you know, MBA with a McKinsey uh, background, right? I want, you know, ex-operators. I want people from a variety of different industries. I want people outside of the, you know, the core big cities. I want people to, a lot of people to experience M&A and to experience this opportunity. And so I'd like to see more people in it. But from the broker's perspective, they need to make one sale and they don't want to waste their seller's time. There's a huge diminishing marginal return um, on the seller's emotional investment. As they talk to more and more people, the ability to process another relationship, to get started on another one, to get your hopes up again, you get really, really tired. And so the broker is trying to protect the seller's time and emotional stamina so they can get the deal closed. And so you look at a searcher, if a searcher comes in and they say, oh, you know, I'd like to take a look at this business. They don't have their financing lined up. They haven't talked to a bank. You know, their investors are, you know, sketchy on whether or not they're going to come through. It's just not a great bet for the broker to take in order to help make sure that that seller closes. So this is what we're up against as buyers, right? We see this situation, the brokers are gatekeeping and they're gatekeeping for a reason. How do we identify the way that we can be as good buyers as possible in front of these brokers. And that's for us, these are the things that we encourage people to do. We encourage people to reach out on deals that are good fits, not just a lot of deals and don't send just form letters, but send really specific, Hey, I'm interested in this specific listing for this reason. This is my investment thesis Two, be flexible and open to sharing your financial information. So I, you know, I'm not saying go give your social security number out or your, you know, full bank account information or things like that, but 
tell people how much, tell the brokers how much money you have. If you don't have money, tell them where you're going to get the money to complete the transaction. Even if you're going the SBA route, say, look, I'm going the SBA route. I've talked to these four lenders. You know, my letter from a letter of support from a lender might not be super valuable to you, but here are the things that I'm going to do to make sure that the deal closes. And here is how I'm going to structure that deal in order to make sure that your seller gets as much cash in their pocket at close as possible. So being knowledgeable, being thoughtful, and being targeted, I think are ways that searchers can overcome it. And you also have to just take a lot of swings, right? Some brokers are just not going to be responsive. No, absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, when we talk to searchers who are looking for the, the off-market route, you know, we say go to them with the most realistic, strongest offer you can. Now, that doesn't mean it's going to close in 90 days or 120 days because things happen. But if you can't close in 90 days, don't ever say that. Don't start off on the bad foot, right? Don't don't mislead people. Um, right. To your point, a searcher sometimes get the mentality that this is a business transaction, and it is, but people are humans. And so to all those things you talked about, owners conveying emotion and they're tied up to the business and what they expect this to mean. Now there's a wide array of people we talk to that have a lot of different reasons for selling, but what you hit on is most people are in that camp. Um, and sometimes it seems that searchers come almost, almost robotic. Like, Hey, I need this. I need this. I need this. I need this. And if they didn't fit that, then I'm not interested. It's like, bro. Uh, I mean, I talk to owners who own business 20, 30, I'm sure you have too, 20, 34 years. They don't know what EBITDA is. They never heard that term. <laughs> but it, it doesn't mean anything to them. So if you come in there dropping all this jargon, they're like, yeah, okay, thanks, buddy. You know? Yeah, exactly. You got to be a human. And, and the other thing you mentioned was being willing to share your financials. The seller, on some level, is at a disadvantage. They've given you the financials, especially if you sign an NDA and you've already read that. that you've already know their business. You know what they're making. <laughs> you, know, you, you know a lot about them. And so, yeah, can, can, being willing to convey that information early on is critical to making sure that the, the seller feels comfortable with you. Yeah, 100%. And um, you know, one of the things we see all the time, and it's gotten to a point where I, I put it as an example in, in some presentations that I give, which is really like, which buyer do you want to sell your business to? Is it, you know, hi, I have an MBA. I've never worked you know, in this, you know, space before, but I'm here to preserve your legacy. Um, you know, by the way, I'm not going to share my financials like that person. There's, you know, a broker says, look, I get a hundred inquiries. 90 of them look like this. Like you're just not going to pass muster. You know, the thing is, Hey, I'm interested in your industry for this reason. Here are my skills and why I'm interested in it. Here's as much as I can give you on the financial piece. And I'm, I'm going to work with you and I'm going to be an honest dealer in managing this transaction. Yeah. I, and what I tell people is, my, my joke is I'm a redneck talking to rednecks. Like that's when I'm on the phone with the owner for the first time, it's just two rednecks sitting here talking and we're kind of keeping it at that level. Now I'm not being overly silly or goofy, but I, I'm trying to talk to them that, Hey, this is person to person here. You know, this, this is just a conversation that we want to have. And I don't want to uh, impress you with anything because I have nothing because this person has what the buyer wants. And that's, that gets overlooked sometimes. Like they have, and have done what you want. They may not know the jargon. They may not have the MBA, but they've actually accomplished the thing that you think is so desirable that you're going to spend millions of dollars on. Uh, and so keeping that in the back of these negotiations, in the back of how you're talking to them, there almost needs to be a level of somewhat respect. Not You don't have to yeah. not, you know, go, go crazy with the top, but you really, you're willing to risk your financial future for what they've already accomplished. Right. It, yeah. That's, that's such a great angle on it. It's, acknowledge that the thing that they have built is an accomplishment and and treat it like such you're you're them selling to you is 
it benefits them, but it benefits you a lot as a buyer and being able to have that human to human conversation. Yeah. I, I like that. I like that angle a lot. So going through this process, obviously you see a lot of sell side brokers. What are some of the things that you think that maybe um, that they struggle to help fit this searcher surge that we've seen? Like where, where are they kind of lacking? Um, is, is, is it just the old way of doing things? Is, is, is it that they get too many tire kickers? Um, or do you think they, they, they do a good job of weeding people out already and they don't need to change? I think that the brokers that I talked to that are the most thoughtful are people who they're not judging books by their covers, right? So I think that when you en engage with a lot of searchers, even the you know even the stereotypical ones that you you hear about all the time, right? A lot of these are really smart, thoughtful, and kind people, and they care deeply about the thing that the seller has built. And oftentimes they can you know work with a broker and a seller to structure a deal in the way that the broker and seller want. Um, help the to help the seller get cash, not you know a, a share of a private equity fund, right? You can you can do all these different things as a searcher that make you valuable, and I think that dismissing searchers out of hand can be you know really it, it's it's just not a great look, and I think it ends up hurting uh, the process. Um, I would like to see brokers work more collaboratively with searchers and figure out additional ways to weed people out. You know, I think that. You know, for example, there's a there's a broker that I know in the Midwest who I think does really good work. And what he does is he basically says, look, we're going to put together, you know, a six question survey. Every single person who wants to see this information is going to give us information in this survey. It's basic stuff. If you've put together, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, a website or any information for any of these before you have all this information right at your fingertips, you're going to put a little bit of friction but it's going to be automated. We're not going to make a judgment based on your name or based on you know how much money you put down in your financial statement. We're just going to say, look, you give us this information, you're going to get an NDA and you're going to get a SIM. And then you know we'll, based on your communication, your answers and how those next steps work, that's how you figure out who gets to talk to the seller. And I think that just finding a way to extract a little bit more value to figure out who's thinking about this in the right way that can be one potential approach. Or, you know, there's a search I work with here in, uh, a broker I work with here in Austin all the time. And uh, what she does is she just, if, if a searcher is coming in and, and is, you know, giving some cliched answer or is doing, um, is not very organized, she'll she'll give them feedback um, in, a, in an honest way. And, and she'll say, look, I appreciate you reaching out on this business. Here are the things that, you know, I would help you improve this approach for the next time. I don't think this is going to be a fit, but here's how we can make this better. And I think that engaging with searchers more and not being so dismissive would be would be helpful. And there are a lot of good brokers out there that are already doing that. Yeah, and, and just um, talk about what the brokers deal with already, which is they take, if they're a good broker or an advisor, where they go by, they talk to three, seven 10 people a week about selling their company that are not a fit for them. Right. So they already have a lot of people who just, you know, the, the books aren't ready. They're not going to sell today. They're six months. They really want to sell to their brother, whatever. So they have a lot of, I don't want to say useless phone calls, but phone calls that aren't fruitful for how they make money today. And then they have that one that's, it, you know, they're going to sign an engagement letter. Great. Now they're nine months from get a check. <laughs> right. And so for the brokers, I understand their frustration because this is a long sales cycle. Sometimes they can do them six months, three months, but these, these deals take six to nine months to get to market and be sold. So if you're a searcher, you have to understand that you're kind of coming into that environment as well. And so we say, Hey, send me anything. It's like, yeah, okay. I have to find something actionable 
um, that a, a real set of, of buyers. And so I think maybe the searchers aren't as keen on what's going on on the sell side as just how much time they spend trying to find buyers and and sellers and it's how much yeah. time they lose in that process. And then they get one and then they've got, you know, three to 400 hours worth of work to do to finally get the business sold. Yep. A hundred percent. I think if at the end of the day, I think if everyone, it goes back to your prior point, if everyone buyer, seller, broker just looked at each other like humans and gave each other a little bit of understanding about the amount of work that goes into it from every single part of the the process at every seat on around the table. Um, I think there would probably be a lot more, um, good deals and a lot more positive interactions in their space. And I like your point about friction because that's one thing we see is so if you're looking at PE, right? So PE, just about anyone right now can email PE and say, Hey, I got a deal or I might have a deal. We pay me a referral fee. And almost all PE groups will come back and say, Yeah, sure, we'll figure something out. Da, da, da. And maybe they'll sign a contract or whatever. Um, the problem is to get PE to look at a deal seriously because every sell-side broker in that space that thinks that they have a deal for PE is sitting to them. So they're getting it for free. There's no friction there. Why? Because the sell-side broker knows that the PE has the money to act. Um, and so the the opposite is, for the searcher is true, though. We don't know if every searcher actually has the money to act. And so that, that friction point, it is a hurdle, but it's, it is a necessary hurdle that we see that, that's very valuable to make sure the searcher is serious about the search. Um, but also the other thing that we see is on the broker side, adding a little friction to the broker side is helpful too, because there are some brokers who will take any deal that comes their way and is never going to sell and they'll put it on a website and go. So how do you evaluate on the broker side who is taking actionable deals other than looking at the ones that you, they might send you? How do you make sure that, 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 that their, that their queue, if you will, of, of deals that they're working on are going to be valuable for your searchers? Yeah. Uh, that's a really good question. And I think that that's really something that we want to continue to get better at. Um, you know, for us right now, we have kind of an all comers approach. We take feedback very seriously. And so we're, we're policing a lot of this on the, on the back end. So for example, if a broker puts a deal up, that deal doesn't exist. It, the deal just sort of is structured in a way to make someone reach out and then say, Oh, um, I have a couple of other deals that I'm going to have trouble selling, but I'm going to present them to this buyer when they reach out on a differently named differently structured deal. We see that kind of like switcheroo situation sometimes. That's that's bad. We don't we don't like that. It's very hard to police unless the buyers give us feedback. So as a platform, what we do is we say, hey, here's the information that we have. Here's the best data we have about this deal. If you have a bad interaction with this broker or if the deal isn't real, let us know and then we'll police that on the back end. But I, I think that sort of over time, figuring out a way to take that that buyer feedback into account and figuring out how do we help people identify? Because I don't think, I think that there are more good brokers than the negative people say that there are. And I also think that there are real problems in the ways that the brokers somehow sometimes treat the listing process and treat searchers. I think that sort of both of those things can be true. And so, um, we haven't gone all the way as far as to say, hey, we're going to just provide like public ratings like Airbnb, you know, for uh, for brokers or things like that. But we we are saying, hey, please give us feedback. Please tell us uh, how things are going. And then if we see patterns over time, we can take action. Yeah. And that's one thing that's been helpful for us. And I don't know how you guys work and you, you don't have to disclose, you know, our brokers that retain us are paying us. So when we talk to a potential seller, we say, hey, these people already paid for this. They're paying for us to talk to you. They're quite serious about getting this to market because it's costing them a lot of money to go to find a 
company wants to sell. So that's one friction point that we've added on there. Um, but I want to circle back to something you said early on. You mentioned searcher's thesis. Um, mm-hmm. This is something that, that I spend a lot of time thinking about because I come across a lot of deals that aren't one million to too many, but uh, not, not in home services. Yeah. Uh, or if I do, they're highly, highly sought after. Um, more traditional, what I'm going to say Main Street businesses are, um, they're, they're below maybe 750K, uh, that 350 to 750K spot. Owners, and that's in that area, what I find is most of them realize that their company's not sellable. They kind of know it's not, um, or they're gonna, it's going to be really hard for them to sell. They don't get solicited as much by, by brokers or buyers. Um, and it is more work, but there seems to be a lot of meat on that bone. And this is kind of what I'm asking a lot of people about is how do we help that market grow? Because those are companies that they're not far off from being that one to too many, but, uh, but they are a long way in some regard, but they're a lot closer than starting from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that some of it is getting searchers at one are sophisticated enough about structuring that deal so that it maximizes. So like, for example, you get a deal like that, you know, a little bit, you know, do it with some seller financing, you know, get, you know, put a loan on it, right. You can do it without, you know, taking a ton of the buyer's capital while still sort of putting money in the seller's pocket. Like I think having someone present that owner with the right offer, you're going to be able to sell it, right? Even if the offer isn't as high as the owner might want. So there's, I think that piece. And then another piece would be, how do we, There, there's a, and I I talked to Chandler, you mentioned Chandler, you know, before we started. Uh, I talked to Chandler about this the other day. It, there's a lot of talk in the search space about people don't want to like buy a job, right? So like- Don't get me started. Wait, I don't know what you're going <laughs> to say, but maybe- so people listen to this, my episode with Chandler comes out on Wednesday, so it's not out yet, but we talk about this uh, very topic. This topic drives me crazy. So I'm curious to see what you're going to say. Hopefully, hopefully we don't have to debate it, but, but go ahead. Go ahead. I, I think I, I, I've had to, yeah, I've had some good conversation with Chandler about this too. Um, basically, there's a, a stigma around this idea that like, hey, if you buy a business that is too small, I have to be the CEO and the operator. And, you know, it's like, okay, well, you're going to be compensating yourself pretty well out of this cash flow. And, you know, you're going to be compensating yourself a lot better than you would as an entrepreneur. Like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm building a startup with Private Market Labs. We're we're doing well. We, we've sort of been building for a while. But like, there's been time when I haven't taken a salary. Like, these are people who are stepping in and taking a salary in order to grow a business. Like, there's so much potential there. And I think that people who say, look... I'm a 34-year-old MBA grad or a 30-year-old MBA grad. What I want is I don't want to buy a job. I want to own five businesses tomorrow, and I don't want to be the CEO of any of them. And it's like the people who get to that point are often operating those first business or two, you know, hands-on themselves, growing them, hiring management, and then overseeing the whole code that way. Like there's, don't jump to the, don't jump to the end of the road too quickly. Like I, I think those operating skills can be important and we see there is a survey that like just really struck me and it came out last year. Um, the Holco conference put out a survey about the size of different Holco companies. And for a lot of them, that first acquisition is small. I mean, it's 250 to 650K of cash flow or SDE, however you want to, you know, cut the, you know, cut it. But I think that people make this assumption that, oh, I need to buy this 1 million EBITDA business. There's just not that many of them. We have the data. 
right? It's just, it's a small percentage of the overall market. And if you find a business that you like, that's a little bit smaller, step in, operate it, grow it. You can be a hands-off operator in a couple of years. And I think that people are just not necessarily, people who say that kind of stuff aren't thinking about the right way. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. You, you, you nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> I hate this debate. It, it drives me crazy. I've worked in small business my whole life. Uh, I've ran companies that would be in that one, two minute EBITDA range all the way down to, I got to, I don't know if I start up now, but we're, we're a couple year old business that, that I started from scratch. And I go, you know, um, you know, it, it just takes the slightest wind blow. And you're like, oh man, I'm in here working 70 hours a week, getting this thing from going under. It doesn't take much. It does not take much. And this one to two minute EBITDA is not some golden parachute thing. And so you're, yes, yes. And then they're highly sought after. Uh, and, and again, to my point earlier, when we talk to owners, owners of those smaller businesses, they're not getting solicited a lot. And so when we come to them, they're like, okay, yeah, let's talk. Uh, the one to two million EBITDA guys, yeah, they're getting hit up all the time by people who've got deeper pockets than you, better presentation skills, and have bought a gazillion companies and have a track record. And they can say, hey, Mr. Owner, if you stay on for four years, you know, we're going to 4X your, your back end. And so you're at a huge competitive disadvantage. Um, yeah. And the SBA limit is five million. Okay, let's talk about that for half a second here. <laughs> right. <laughs> you don't have to buy a company. So there are options. And so it, it drives me crazy this don't buy a job mentality. There's tons of businesses there. I, I get it. For some people, it's not a fit. Um, but man, to get in there and have those opportunities, there are plenty of them out there. And there's a lot of unique companies you find that are doing things. You go, you know, I never would have known this type of company would have existed. I wouldn't have thought about this type of company uh, until I kind of dropped down there, expanded my search a little bit because uh, it's not as formal. It didn't fit as well. Uh, they have problems like anything else. But anyways, all right. I know we're up at the clock here, so uh, I'm glad we got that. Off, I got that on my chest. I always like to ask that question. I know there's some strong opinions on it, and I really, I really don't understand the strong opinions, um, especially for first-time searchers. I think the community as a whole needs to be careful that we're these people have money and it's limited. They need to find a business and they need to think about the implications of running out of money because they didn't mile a one million dollar even a business. Yo, yeah. are you willing to live with that risk? If you are, cool, but you could have bought something for, like you said, 500K. Uh, well, maybe you should have just done that, uh, gritted out for a couple of years. You can, uh, this is not a job that you can't, out, you can outgrow this job and hire your replacement and make more money, right? Like it's it's not the same as a W2. It's just not. Um, exactly. I think it's W2s. It's just not the same. So I'll give you the final word and then tell people about your podcast, Twitter, wherever you want to send people to. Let's do it. I want to, I want to piggyback on one thing you just said, and then I'll, I'll go into that last piece. So I do see a lot of people, um, coming to us and, this is not a knock on them, but I will say that we see people that say, I want a $1 million software business, $1 million EBITDA software business. It's like, I'm trying to buy a company that could be, you know, almost like a venture style acquisition of like, this company is not just a venture style acquisition. It's our, it's a venture acquisition that's already hit, right? They're making 1 million of cash flow. And they are, you know, a, a, a cool tech SaaS company or something. Those are trading at 10 X revenue. You know, yeah. if, if the company is good, you're not going to get a $1 million EBITDA SaaS company with an SBA loan. And and I don't mean to be like, hey, if you find it and like, you know, we couldn't help you because it, I couldn't find one for you, like whatever, I will eat my words and that's totally fine. But I think that I would also encourage buyers to continue to be strategic around, okay, you like software? What are some services, businesses, or other kinds of businesses that can take advantage of your interest in software? You can use software to improve those operations and grow that business in that direction. So just, just a word of thought for the listeners. Um, for us, right, what we do is we connect buyers 
like I said, buyers with deals and buyers with brokers. We have the technology in place to make that process very targeted. And uh, we try to help people search along the way. So we've got we're doing a lot of posts uh, on social media. My my Twitter account is at Levine JM, uh, M like Michael. I, I recognize that I say M and N like almost the same. So I have to, I have to specify. Um, <laughs> and then, uh, you know, we also do a, a podcast called Private Market Insights. So um, we have about 20, 23 episodes out right now. We've got a couple good episodes coming up. We've got um, a, uh, you know, attorney coming and we have a, uh, a Kevin Henderson from SMB law. He's coming in a couple weeks. And then we've got um, an excellent uh, current NFL player who's uh, looking to buy businesses, which will be really exciting. Um, so he'll be coming up in a few weeks as well. I think so, um, I know who that is, but I don't know. I ask you offline. Uh, I got to guess. Yeah, yeah um, I'm sure. Uh, he's, <laughs> there's he's not great. a lot of them, but it should of them be... on Twitter. So, um, okay, great. And, and yeah, this final thing, we did a search last year for, uh, a client that was a sales side advisor and they wanted to target uh, SaaS companies. We talked to, I don't know how many companies that were doing 1 million ARR, so not cash flow ARR. Most of them were not making any money and they still wanted like 6, 8x on the ARR. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah. And, and so it turned out to not be a very successful campaign for us because I get what these MA guys were trying to do, but man, it's like, whoo, these guys even. In that one or two million ARR range, they have great, and they're not making money, and they might not make money for six or eight months, and you know they don't have the industry. And so, yeah, those those companies are a mess. So if you find one that's cash flowing, <laughs> good. I hope you find it. Prove me wrong and tag me, like you say. I would love to see that. Yeah, let, let me know. Call me out. Say, Josh, call, call me out. at Levine JM on Twitter. This guy is an idiot, and here is why. Please, please call me out. Yes, I'm a, listen. I'm an idiot already, so just, just <laughs> verify it. Just please, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I enjoyed the chat. Yeah, thanks, Ryan. This is fun.